0: Good evening, good morning, welcome to Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from BaseballPerspectus.com. Uh, this is episode 79. I'm Sam Miller and I'm with Ben Lindbergh. Ben, hello.
1: Hello. How whoa. How are you? <laughs> uh, it's snowing. I guess that didn't really answer the question, but it is snowing and I like snow so I'm happy.
0: Great. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing one time. Th- topic today. It was my assignment to bring a topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my topic is about untouchables. And before I start, we'll just acknowledge we both uh, agree that there is no such thing as a truly untouchable player. Uh, the phrase itself is sort of a um, kind of a, I don't know, colloquial uh, usage of something that isn't literally true. Okay, so we, we acknowledge that. Everybody is technically touchable. But um, there are Um, you know, there are a couple of players in every organization who are sort of considered untouchable. Um, And uh, yet right now, uh, as we speak, uh, there are rumors that the Arizona Diamondbacks are listening if anybody wants to make an offer on Trevor Bauer. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the Rays are, uh, according to some reports, sort of Uh, at least willing to consider uh, trading uh, Hellickson and perhaps even more. Um, And it seems to me that uh, these are the sorts of trades that would not be thinkable a few years ago. That there was a a long period of time where um, perhaps uh, all of baseball history, certainly I think though in the last 20 years, where um, uh, elite talent like this uh, who, uh, players who have made the majors who are not simply prospects, but are elite sort of top 10 prospects who are also, uh, have, have made the majors. And so have sort of cleared that final hurdle a little bit would never be traded. Um, and that the value placed on pre-arb, um, talent has, uh, really since the days of John Hart been such a huge part of a competitive advantage that no 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 team would really ever think about trading a guy uh, like matt moore or uh even trevor bauer um and yet uh here we are talking about it and it's just uh, less than one year since jesus montero was traded for michael pineda which might be sort of the um I don't know, the, the the greatest one of these sorts of challenge trades in Major League history. Um, and if not the greatest, then the greatest since De Shields for Pedro in 1994. Um, and so I just want to know, uh, do you think that this is a, a shift in how teams are going to treat their young players? Do you think that there's anything to this? Or is this just kind of the uh, lowering of the bar for what passes as reportable rumor?
1: Hmm. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess... With the Montero-Pineda trade, um, it was surprising that, that those two players were traded and yet also not that surprising because they didn't, I don't know if they didn't fit with their current teams, but it seemed like the other team kind of needed them more than the team that had them. So it was it was a trade that made sense in many ways. Uh Montero was probably going to be a, a first baseman or a DH ultimately, and the Yankees had that type of player in spades already, and the Yankees needed pitching and the Mariners need, needed some offense. Um, so that wasn't a trade that really, uh, I mean, it just made sense uh, in, in many ways. So I don't know well, if, if that's a trade that, I mean...
0: Well, I want to interrupt. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it made it made sense, but there are there are always trades like this that mm-hmm. make sense. that They just don't happen. Mm-hmm. I um, uh, Mike uh, Axisa, how would you pronounce his name? I
1: say Axisa, yes. Uh,
0: Mike Axisa um, tweeted in February, and Mike Trout for Bryce Harper trade would make baseball sense and be off the charts insane. And I was at the register at the time. I, I used that um, as a as a jumping off point for a blog post and it it did make sense i mean i think that he was right it made it made a lot of sense for both teams at the time but um i looked at what would have happened if the number one and number two prospects had been traded for each other uh in each year since 1995 and usually the mismatch in terms of results, I mean, these are all guys who are essentially indistinguishable from each other at the time, right? They're one, two. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's essentially no difference between one and two. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, if you look at, you know, a few years out, um, the, uh, the, the return is usually so mismatched that I, I counted probably three or four GMs in a 10-year period who would have been fired Uh, from those trades so even if they make sense there seems to be a lot more downside than upside Mm -hmm. for a general manager Mm -hmm. uh at least kind of in the most simplistic way of of evaluating these things
1: well i'm trying to think of a reason why that would have changed in the last few years um because i guess the the danger the perception is still there uh I don't know why that would have changed. It could still certainly reflect poorly on on a GM if if he trades a very highly highly regarded prospect and and it doesn't work out, which it hasn't for the Yankees really in the very early going. Um, not that or the Mariners, <laughs> yeah, it hasn't worked out so well for either team. But uh, yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, I think the value of of a of an arbitration player, a pre arbitration player has probably only continued to rise. It seems to me, right? I mean, the, the perception of the value at least, uh, it's not like people are trading those players lightly now or, or appraising them as any less valuable than they used to. I don't, I wouldn't think. Um,
0: I think that it's actually the case that they're evaluating them, uh, I think that this is actually the result of a, a sort of a, a solidified and increased appreciation of just how valuable they are. It seems to me that um, that the perceived value of these types of players has only gone up, mm-hmm. which in a way has actually um, turned the turned them from untouchable to uh, the sort of players where, you can the return is so staggering because there's kind of a shared appreciation for how valuable these players are. Oh. And so so the price that you might expect to get back has finally maybe caught up to your own internal value of of how of of the player and his worth.
1: Okay, so you're saying that now that people have sort of put a dollar value on these prospects, which people have have done in various ways, um, yeah. that now you can exchange them because There is kind of an easier way to get a handle on what they're worth. Whereas before, it was just sort of uh, kind of a nebulous uh, concept of what they were worth. They were just worth so much that you could never trade them. But now that you can put some sort of value on them, you can trade them even if that value is really, really high.
0: Yeah, I think that the more information is, um, the more of the information is sort of defined, um, the easier it is to make a. What, what might be a sort of scary transaction. I mean, if you went shopping for a car ten years ago, almost no matter what you did, you were gonna walk away feeling like the car the, the, the dealer had ripped you off because you knew that they were trying to rip you off, they were better at it than you are, then they had far more information than you do. And now that all these prices are available on the internet and you can, um, you know, the, 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 the advantages that have shifted to the consumer have given so much more information to the consumer that now you don't necessarily feel like you got ripped off when you're buying a car. And that's because all this information is public, it's all kind of open and you there isn't a real um, kind of vague uh, vagueness to the transaction. And so there's, I I do I yeah, I think there's, like a, I blue think book.
1: there's a blue book and a car fact. There's a exact
0: there's there's a blue book for a pre arb prospect, yeah. And So now you no longer have to deal the guy with this sort of vague worry that it's going to turn out badly. You can, you could, I mean, it it becomes a lot more. I mean, obviously, baseball is is never going to be this way, but it becomes a little bit more of an actuarial chart where you can kind of compare and figure out whether the deal makes sense instead of just sort of focusing on the downside of what happens if you, uh, you know, if you give up somebody who turns out to be good.
1: Mm -hmm. So you think that we will see these trades, if not regularly, uh, at least more often than we used to, and that will continue to be the case.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know, Will. We're having this conversation because it <laughs> appears as though that is happening. It, mm-hmm. it appears that that's maybe happening. I mean, I don't know. If you want to put Delman Young into this category, then maybe that's a precedent, and and I think that's maybe fair. And, and maybe, I don't know, I guess Andy Marte had never really – Reached uh, the major, so maybe that's not. But I mean, it, it does feel to me like um, Pineda Montero was 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 more or less unprecedented, and um, it, the idea that Matt Moore is anything other than an automatic hangup, I think, is is brand new. I, I do think that's a new uh, idea. Now, if nothing comes of it, and Pineda Montero is the last of its kind, then obviously none of this really matters. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it's I think it's conceivable, and if that's the case, that What I said is probably what I would maybe attribute it to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, it it feels to me like in history, uh, there was a willingness to trade prospects, an over-willingness to trade prospects up until uh, probably the mid-90s or so. And then since then, there has been much more reticence to trade prospects, but particularly to trade um, young Major leaguers, and I, I, could see both of those sorts of ideas, um, uh, disappearing, if the, if the return is right. I mean, when you look at, you look at some of the trades that that people. I mean, I think part of the unwillingness to trade prospects over the last fifteen or twenty years is that when you look at the trades for prospects before fifteen or twenty years ago, they were always so lopsided. I mean, you would just get smoked on them because. Um, you know, guys are trading like top ten prospects for you know eight months of a veteran or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that really happened. Now you have a guy who is an elite prospect. You expect a pretty good return on it, and so it makes it easier to pull the deal off.
1: Well, I wonder because we used to see a lot of uh, trades involving prospects, as you said, but we didn't see a lot of trades that were prospects for other prospects. That's true. Uh, And I wonder whether that will become a regular thing. I mean, Montero Pineda was not quite that. Um, Pineda had had pitched a season and Montero had been up at least, but that was close to prospect for prospect, very young and inexperienced players. But I guess uh, the same thing applies. We're not necessarily just talking about trading uh, a, a, a valuable young player who has already sort of established himself, but also, maybe a player who hasn't even made it to the majors yet. It's conceivable that that could also become more common um, for the same reasons, I suppose. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I want to read a paragraph to you. Okay. Uh, it Okay, this is how it goes. It says, The typical baseball trade of this era goes like this. A veteran player, often past his prime and invariably lugging a hefty salary, is unloaded for a couple of obscure low-cost minor leaguers. The trade is rumored for days, and when the deal is finally done, the resultant impact is analyzed in a matter of seconds. Very boring. That is written by Tim Kirchin in 1994. Uh Uh And that's interesting. I didn't really, when I was, I was, um, I guess I was 13 when that came out. And I don't remember trade rumors at all um, back in those days.
1: Yeah. Uh, I I guess it was
0: different if you were around the game. So that's in his story on the Pedro de Shields um, trade Mm -hmm. of 1994. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, that was a, a massively one sided trade. And it's almost unthinkable that. Um, the Dodgers made it at the time Um, a couple of interesting points from that story one is that um, when Montreal started shopping to Shields um, they narrowed it down to either Pedro or Aaron Sealy and at the time I would have thought that Aaron Sealy this was after Aaron Sealy's rookie year I believe and I would have thought Sealy would have been the better guy and that would have blown my mind even more but (laughs) Of course, uh-huh. it didn't turn out that way. The Dodgers were willing to trade partly because they had Darren Dreifert coming uh-huh. up through the wings. Uh-huh. And um... – so this is the, this is sort of his conclusion. And so at this stage it looks as if the deal is one of those good for both teams arrangements. Quote, no one got hooked on that trade says the Phils Thomas. <laughs> Nevertheless, San Diego Padre coach Merv Redimond thinks LA got the better end of the deal saying, quote DeShields might be the best second baseman in the league.
1: Mm. It's always so nice to look back at at retrospective uh, reviews and predictions like that, as you did in your article yesterday, and I enjoyed the comment someone left that called you a baseball nihilist <laughs> <laughs> because of your attitude toward predictions, which is pretty much my attitude toward predictions as well.
0: Yeah, it's my attitude toward all of baseball. I I just do sometimes wonder how I enjoy baseball as much as
1: you. <laughs> right. Yeah. We both really love baseball, but to hear us talk about it, sometimes you would think that yeah. we were sick of it.
0: <laughs> we do. We, we sound like, I don't know, we sound like two comedians <laughs> dissecting a joke and just completely right. ruining the thing.
1: Just <laughs>
0: taking all the fun and humor out of it and just turning it into this terrible, dull exercise.
1: And yet it's all we do all day.
0: <laughs> it is. And, and people um, people pay us to do it, too, which is the, even weirder. Yes. All right. Well, uh, one Quick final question: mm-hmm. um, Trevor Bauer, uh, Matt Moore, Jeremy Hellickson, uh, which is traded this often?
1: Uh, I guess I would say Hellickson.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'll say none.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I didn't even know none was an option, but I probably none should have. None is always an option. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'd say he's the most likely.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's probably true. Okay. Although Trevor Bauer, I think it's conceivable that he's just really unlikable, and then, I mean, it it sounded uh, it sounded sort of from the rumors that maybe like they they just don't, you know, they don't they don't feel a lot of emotional investment in the guy. They maybe feel some baseball investment, but I mean, this is all reading between the lines of like you know sort of half tweets and stuff so it's not like i i know anything but that's sort of the impression i get anyway sort
1: of the impression you get with justin upton there sometimes also as he's yeah. kind of always on the market it seems
0: he is yeah this is the third year in a row
1: mm-hmm.
0: well maybe do you think he'll get traded
1: uh yeah i guess not probably but yeah um, i don't know there's a lot of smoke every year so maybe eventually so- there will be fire
0: Somebody uh, a few minutes ago tweeted to me um, that the the, the A's should trade Chris Young for Justin Upton, which would be awesome. (laughs) Yes. All right. That's all. All That's the show.
1: We will have uh, two topics tomorrow.